Hey everybody, come on in, come on in, it's time for Coffee with Scott Adams, that's right, best part of the day and you found it again. Think of all the people who wish they were here, but they're doing something far less interesting and stimulating. Don't we feel sorry for them? Just a little bit. And they're also going to miss a little thing called the simultaneous sip because they may not be prepared with a cup or a mug or a glass of tanker, gel, or stein, a canteen, jug, or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip, and it happens now. Go. Well, I don't like to brag, you know, because I live in California, and there's a lot to brag about. For example, today, the air is actually breathable. Um, again, I don't like to brag, but I'll be able to walk outside my home today, open up my mouth and breathe in the air without risking uh, a serious medical problem. Yeah. In my town, the smoke has actually subsided to the point where I can go outside. So look at me. Boo. Try to hold your jealousy. Um, there's a new turn in the uh, the President Trump's uh, medical situation. I don't know if you've heard this, but he's exhibiting a new side effect. Um, I don't know if this is a side effect from the the meds or it's something that the coronavirus does, but apparently he can only tweet in all caps. Um, I don't know exactly what the treatment for that is. You know, sometimes people will send... One tweet in all caps is kind of a, a way to emphasize a specific tweet. And that's okay. That's not necessarily a sign of any kind of illness or side effect. But if you tweet a whole series of tweets the same morning, and they're all in all caps, that's, that's time for some serious medical intervention. And so uh, I think President Trump needs a, a little more a little more attention. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be treated to all caps tweets from now on. And it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Because, as you know, the president took a little drive yesterday. Uh, and he wanted to just wave to the supporters who were gathered around Walter Reed Hospital. But because he's still infected... He was in the car with two Secret Service agents, and now people are concerned that those Secret Service agents could, in a worst-case scenario, they might start tweeting in all caps as well. Because we don't know what it is about the president that's causing him to tweet in all caps, but I don't think it's the sort of thing you want to expose other people to, because the Secret Service people are just trying to do their jobs. And... Yeah, what if, what if they have to go through life tweeting in all caps because of this exposure to whatever this is? That's not fair, is it? No, it's not fair at all. So I think we should be concerned about that. Um, now, 
some people are saying it's very, very uh, inappropriate for the president to put the Secret Service at risk. Now, I did hear uh, an ex-White House physician talking about this, and he, he determined that the risk was very, very small. Tiny, tiny, tiny little risk. And uh, apparently the doctors at Walter Reed, the ones that are treating the president, uh, cleared him to do this. So they, too, judged that the risk to the Secret Service agents and to anybody else was very, very, very small. Very, very, very small. But it wasn't zero. It wasn't zero. So was it worth it? Was it a good risk management decision by the president? Well, one of the things it does is it it reminds the public that the president is relatively uh, good shape and probably recovering on schedule, and the country will go ahead, and probably the stock market will will open a little bit higher today. I don't know if it has, but there's a good chance it will because the president's looking uh, robust. So I would say... The trade-off is this, a tiny, tiny little chance that the Secret Service could be infected versus the benefit of showing the public that he's alive. Um, Somebody just asked me, what city should I move to to be successful? (laughs) Not San Francisco. (laughs) Don't come here. Not Los Angeles. I would rule out Baltimore, Chicago, New York City, um, Austin, maybe. I'm hearing good things about Austin. Maybe someplace in Texas. Uh, Hearing good things about Nashville. Uh, So that was just a question about where to move for success. All right. Now, here's a question. If the Secret Service agents who drove the president around in his little uh, one-block drive there, if, if they were put at risk... What about the doctors? <laughs> why, why do we ignore the fact that there apparently there's a, an army of doctors? I don't know how many of them. It looks like a lot of them. But there must be probably 15 people who have daily access to the president. Now, they're also wearing protective gear, but so are the, so are the Secret Service agents. Shouldn't each of those... Uh, medical people have to go into a 14-day quarantine every time they talk to the president. I mean, I suppose you have to treat the medical community differently, but I only point this out to say we're really bad at estimating risk because we've got this team of people going in and out and dealing with probably other coronavirus patients and then going in and out and dealing with other diseases and then going in and out of the president's uh, room. Uh, There is a lot of leakage. I also would like to point out that the average person, (laughs) the average person doesn't do that good a job with social distancing and mask wearing. Yeah, if people are watching, if people are watching, you're probably pretty good with your mask. If there are people around, you're probably good with your social distancing. What happens when you're home? <laughs> Is anybody coming to your home without a mask? Is there anybody anybody who comes in and out of your home that maybe goes in and out of other homes? I've got a feeling that if you drilled down and found out what was happening behind closed doors, 
that the social distancing is not nearly as good as you would hope. Not nearly as good. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be pretty good. All right. Um, I understand that there are some kind of basketball playoffs happening. I have reached an, a new all-time low in caring about sports for all the right reasons. Sports never really needed to be important, did they? You know, what, what hole was it that sports were filling? I think the hole that sports fills, other than taking up some time, is that it allows you to have a team that you can root for. But I feel as if we're all already on teams because of politics. It feels like you're on a team. Then some people are joining Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I feel as if the purpose of sports is much less. Because sports, in a way, you could argue, is like this symbolic kind of a fight, you know, this big symbolic battle so that your need for a real battle is somewhat siphoned off by your enjoyment of entertainment in these fake battles called sports. But if you see fake battles every day and you feel like you're on one of those teams or rooting for them, maybe you don't need sports as much. Maybe you don't. Um, did you notice how little news there is today? That the biggest news is the infinitesimally, infinitesimally small risk that two Secret Service agents who sign up to risk their lives for the president and for the, for the nation, I would say, even more than the president, that there's slight risk to these two people because the president drove around the block. That's it. All the other news in the world just sort of stopped. What does that tell you about the subjectivity of your news-consuming experience? Because this happens on holidays and weekends. Whenever the people who make the news take some time off, there's no news. So if you think that your understanding of the world and what's important is driven by what's actually happening, it's not. It's not at all. Um, it's, it's really entirely because people make up the news. They, they decide what's important. They transmit it to you, and then they assign your opinions. And then you get worked up over the opinion that somebody else has assigned to you. And if you don't think that's what's happening, just pay attention. And, and you'll notice these little, these little suggestions that that's what's happening. And you're seeing it right now. As soon as President Trump uh, can't be attacked as easily because he's sick, so you don't want to attack sick people as much, it just makes all the news go away. It's like nothing is important suddenly. But is that the case? Did, did the world change? No, the world didn't change at all. But the way you process the world completely changed because the people who were assigning you opinions stopped doing it for a, a couple of days. They just stopped assigning you opinions. And they're giving you dumb ones like, you know, the president driving around in a car. And, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. But in terms of the global things that you're worrying about, pretty small. Today I got in a little back and forth with a Twitter troll who tells me that uh, President Trump has no empathy. He has no empathy. To which I quite naturally, responded that mind reading is not a thing. K 
can you really tell if an, if a stranger has empathy? Well, the troll got back to me and said quite reasonably, quite reasonably, said you can tell empathy by people's actions. Now, that's not 100% true because our actions don't always correspond to our inner thoughts. We might be concealing our inner thoughts for any variety of reasons, either to look strong or whatever. But you could conceal your 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 true inner thoughts. But I thought, well, but let me consider this accusation. Accusation that President Trump has not acted in a way that would demonstrate empathy. What do you think of that? Do you think that the president has so far in in his, uh, let's say, campaign for and then first term, has he demonstrated through his actions, not just his words, but his actions, empathy? Well, I would say he based his entire campaign on it, didn't he? Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the central message of his campaign empathy for the middle-class Americans who had been forgotten? That was not just an add-on. That wasn't something he said, you know, uh, I got my campaign platform and uh, it probably sounds good. I'll throw in some stuff about the middle class. No, it started there. The entire heart of his entire movement started with an empathy core and then built on top of that. It's all built around the middle class and the empathy for them, because if you get that part right, everything else works. You know, it's, it's a general truism that if the middle class is healthy, you have a much better chance of helping everybody else, right? You know, the, the, the rich are going to be fine if the middle class are good, and the poor are in much better shape if the middle class are, are healthy. They don't need help. They can provide help. So, and, and of course, the president has been very direct, more direct than anybody's ever been, about saying that his empathy is for Americans, and he's going to keep it that way because he cares the most about the people who are closest which is the most human thing you could do. Because empathy, you can think of it as uh, something that's like the center of a bullseye. You know, a person's primary empathy is to themselves. Even, even if you think you're a good person, we're designed to, to take care of ourselves first. But then there's your family, your loved ones, your, you know, your extended family, your coworkers, your, your local town, then your state, your country, and the world. And the empathy that you have, if you're a normal human, is the greatest, the closer you are to the center of your core. More empathy for your family than for strangers, et cetera, right? So the president has said, you know, his empathy stake in the ground is the middle class. It's a pretty big, big group of people. So um, I, I've noticed that, and maybe this is an exaggeration, but it seems like I can tell somebody's political affiliation online by whether they criticize systems or people. When you see conservatives criticizing stuff, you know, of course, both sides criticize people. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's exclusive to the left. But you will more often see uh, conservatives talking about free markets and the system capitalism, the system, socialism, the system, 
how many people on the Supreme Court, a system, um, you know, the separation of powers, a system. So mostly, mostly systems. They do also talk about people because it's, you know, that's the game we're in. But if I feel as though conservatives have a feeling about people and then they'll throw in a little bit about systems if they need to. Seems like a, di- a big difference, and I'm, I'm watching for that. I, I saw somebody in the comments refer to the president as a con man. And he, I've often thought that that's the lowest level of analysis. Because the lowest level of analysis is simply substituting a word for other words. Because there's no actual analysis there. All you did is put a feeling on an observation, which is sort of nothing. It adds nothing. So what would be the difference between a salesperson and a, and a con man? What would be the difference? Well, the difference would be whether they're doing something for good or for bad. Is the president trying to help the middle class, trying to help the United States, trying to make this, you know, the economy good? Yeah. Yeah, obviously. He can't, he can't do anything good for himself unless he's doing things that are good for the country. His job is so transparent that it would be impossible to be, a, to be a bad president and then have a good outcome for himself. That's not even a thing. Nobody would even think that way. It's too, it's too obvious that you're connected. So it seems to me the president is... Uh, it's so hard to read all these comments and think at the same time. Oh, somebody's saying the Dow is up 300. So that would suggest that the country likes what the president does <laughs> because his health is probably what's driving the market right now. So it looks like the stock market thinks they want more President Trump. All right. So I made a list of, uh, I made a list of the attacks that I get on Twitter. And I think I'll just paste, uh, just paste this list to my trolls from now on. So here's the list of every criticism I get on Twitter. You're going to recognize these, right? Oh, all right. So what I was saying about a con man versus a salesperson, because I forgot my train of thought there, going back to it. The difference is, what do you think is the intention? And if you're going to imply, imply an intention on a stranger and you can't read minds, it's just sort of useless, crazy talk, right? You can like what somebody's doing, but you can't then go back into their head and find out that they're really doing it for bad reasons. You know, that, that's kind of not a thing. You can't read minds. Um, and then there are the people who say he's, he's a grifter or he's a narcissist or he's whatever you want to call him. The, the, this is what I call the word thinking. So instead of saying, what is it we want to be done? And then does he do those things? which is sort of all that matters, right, for the president. What are, what are the things you want accomplished? Is that a president who can do those things? Have they demonstrated the ability or a track record to do those things? That's what matters. But if you just want to put a different word on it, I, I would like to refer to his salesmanship as conman. What have you added? What, what, was your, what was your contribution to the conversation? You just change the word. That's it. Um, so word thinking is not useful. All right. So here are the list of the six things that 
capture almost every criticism I get on, on Twitter. Number one, a personal attack instead of any kind of argument. Mind reading failures where they imagine I'm thinking something I'm not. Goofy hallucinations of my opinions where they just imagine some straw man opinion and attack it. You've all had that. Sarcasm unconnected to reality. Just a pure sarcastic tweet with no, with no complaint about the facts or the reasoning, just sarcasm. Uh, strong opinions based on fake news. You'll get that one a lot. Somebody has a real strong opinion because they think that the president once suggested uh, injecting bleach into your arm. Never happened, but they have a strong opinion on that. Uh, failure to compare the right things, which would be comparing the United States to other countries in the coronavirus. That would be one example. And the illusion of understanding science. <laughs> We're all guilty of that. I think every one of us is guilty of this flaw of imagining that we understand science and the person we're talking to doesn't understand science. Probably not the case. <laughs> we're all pretty sure that we've got the right view of science. The way I like to look at it is uh, trusting science makes complete sense. Is there anybody here who doesn't think you should trust science? Now, when I say science, I mean the, the process of science. It's pretty good, right? The process for finding truth. Yeah. Uh, the, the process is pretty good. Here's what I don't trust. Scientists. Because scientists are people. I don't totally trust people. People lie. People are biased. People have cognitive dissonance. There's nothing you can trust less than a person. People are terrible. But science described as the process of science and, and the things that scientists do, that's great. I'm all in on science, but scientists, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but they're no more reliable than people in general. And people in general are terribly unreliable for any variety of reasons. So I'm gonna start uh, pasting this list of six things and just putting a number on it. Oh, shit, I just realized that I've got two number fives in my list. Damn it, I have to go rewrite that. Um, and I actually can't remember the last time somebody disagreed with me in public who also understood what my point was <laughs> and, and understood, let's say, economics. So, so here's, a, uh, here's a bold statement. I'm not aware of any time in my adult life that anyone has disagreed with me who understood economics on any level. You know, don't have to be an expert or a Nobel Prize winning economist, but just understand economics and how decisions are made. And also understood my opinion. Lots of people imagine they're disagreeing with me, but they're always disagreeing with some phantom opinion that's their, just their imagination. Somebody says, I'll take that challenge. Okay. Um, you should skip number two on purpose. <laughs> all right. So would you all agree that there's not much news happening today? That's not my imagination, is it? Um, 
Greg asks, do I think that Trump would do as well if the media was fair to him? That's a good question. One of the things that Trump has going for them for him is that the media um, is sort of set up as his grand nemesis. And there's something useful about that. Having a real clean nemesis that other people can get behind hating, that could actually help you out. So I've got a feeling that Trump's uh, setup of being against the, uh, the media is really helping him. Um, somebody says, Scott thinks tariffs are good and therefore I don't understand economics. Well, whoever said that obviously doesn't understand economics. <laughs> tariffs are bad unless you're using them as part of a trade war. If what you're doing is trying to punish another country as part of your negotiations, and it's part of a trade war, then a tariff can be a good thing, meaning that it creates pain in a way that can get you to the end of your negotiations. Permanent tariffs probably be better off without them. Countries use them to protect their, their local industries. And yes, I do understand that the tariffs are not paid by the other country. So, uh, Nice try, but it didn't work. Uh, yeah, when there's no news, buckle your seatbelts, somebody says. I'm going to look at some of your comments here and see what, what you guys are thinking because there really isn't much happening. And you know there's something coming. Oh, there is something coming. But it, it could be that, that all of the news is going to center around the president getting out of, the, uh, out of Walter Reed early. Now, I think you know what's going on with the, the mixed messages. You know, there was, uh, I guess, Mark Meadows said something about there was great concern about the president, but then the president's trying to paint a picture where he's in good shape. So which is it? Was there great concern for the president's uh, vital signs? Was it touch and go? Was it dangerous? Or was it, no problem, I'm going to get over this, everything's going fine, we're all recovered. Which one would help the president more? Which of those two versions of reality is better? The one where everything's fine and he's getting through this great? Or the one where it really was pretty bad, but looks like he'll make it? I would argue that some, uh, some um, uh, mashup of the two is best. Because it does help the president to think he was in real trouble because that gives him the maximum empathy. But at the same time, it helps the country to think that the president is unusually good at recovering <laughs> because it makes him feel it makes him look like a little bit of a you know a super superman kind of situation. It's like, well, he sure got over that pretty quickly. So I think the president's best case scenario is that when he's talking, he minimizes it. But when other people are talking, they don't minimize it as much. So it sounds scary when you're hearing other people. But when the president talks about it himself, he just says he did great, got through it, boom. I think that's the perfect place to be. This is one of those cases where being on the same page is not nearly as good as having a variety of opinions, because I think that's going to serve him best. Um, Simone Sanders was acting squirrely on Jake Tapper on the topic of Biden being exposed. 
Well, he's been tested enough. I think we know at this point. Um, yeah, then there's a question of whether Trump knowingly spread the virus. My guess is that that didn't happen and that if we ever figure out what, what really happened when, we would find out that it didn't. So that's the sort of thing where unless you get proof that that happened, I wouldn't worry about the rumor that it might have. Uh, stagecraft is the new statecraft. Yeah, well, it always has been. Stagecraft is super important. How would you like to be uh, Joe Biden right now and know that nothing you say matters? As long as the president is in Walter Reed, and really even after he comes back, it's still going to be the story. Nothing, nothing that Joe Biden says or does makes any difference as long as Trump is absorbing all of the energy out of everything. All right. Um, one of the questions that people are asking is whether uh, he's having any kind of side effects from the meds. It was my understanding that if things get bad, they'll use steroids, right? But uh, can somebody who knows more than I do tell me, is there anything the president's getting that would be a steroid? or anything that he's getting that would have any chance of changing his decision-making. Now, you, those of you who've been watching me on Periscope for a while, you know that in the past year, I went through several bouts of uh, taking prednisone. And as I described to you during the process, taking prednisone changes your personality. And it's really obvious, you know, when, when you're on it, you're, you become you know, sort of a super person and your, your uh, enthusiasm and your optimism and your energy are high. But the, on the downside, you can get pretty aggressive. And for people who are already aggressive, you don't want to give somebody who's already aggressive a little extra, you know, chemical aggression. Uh, so I would worry about that if Trump had anything in that family, but I don't, I don't necessarily think he is. Uh, if it were me, I'd worry about it. Oh, yeah, there's a story about 60 Minutes. Ted Cruz was calling this out. 60 Minutes, I guess, is doing a story about Tara Reid, the accuser of, you know, Joe Biden's accuser of sexual assault. And uh, he's being asked, so Ted Cruz is asking 60 Minutes publicly why they would run that story in Australia, but they don't run it in the United States. <laughs> It's 60 minutes, and it's a and it's a U.S. story. It's not like a some Australian specific story. It's a U.S. specific story. So why is a U.S. specific story that's bad for Biden only showing in Australia? That's a good question, isn't it? And so I hear these on that dexamethasone. Uh, somebody says it's a powerful steroid. I just looked it up and it didn't say steroid. Um, let me see this question. If you were president, how would you handle the 3,000 refugees being sent to the U.S. for added chaos? Yes, yeah, so I guess I guess the refugees situation is being handled by um, just asking the Mexican government to take care of it. And that I, I guess I would do it the same way. You want Mexico to handle that. Um, 
Somebody says that steroids make you aggressive if you're male. Maybe. I would think it would make anybody aggressive, but maybe. Who knows? Uh, yes, I'm seeing you say Australia 60 minutes. There's a little bit of a lag here. Will Will Trump having COVID help him or hurt him? Um, it's a little bit hard to uh, to know. If I had if I had to put money on it, I would say it will help him because it's gonna it's gonna create the uh, it will create the impression that he understands it like you could only understand it if you've been through it. It's simply true that you'd rather have somebody who has experience in the very thing that you're trying to manage in every category. It's going to be it's going to be an advantage to have some experience. So Trump just learned a whole lot about coronavirus, probably that he didn't know before, and he also has a you know an sort of an appreciation for how it feels like you know the the actual mental psychological part of it. Uh, and even with his superior healthcare, he probably has some good idea what's, you know, what the, what anybody would feel going through that situation, especially if they're older. So I feel like it's going to help him, but you could certainly make an argument that it would go the other way. Uh, why did your uploader YouTube have so many ads? Well, you should. Uh, I think I changed the ad setting on YouTube, so you should not see the interstitial ads anymore, unless I said it wrong. I, I heard a complaint on that, and I changed that yesterday, so that should have changed. Um, all right. Somebody say, says that dexamethasone is stronger than prednisone. Um, I, I don't know. You know, when I looked it up, it did say that there was a rare, a rare possibility of mood change, but it looked like it was pretty rare. Um, <laughs> my mother took prednisone and she became an aggressive house cleaner. Yeah, you can get a lot done. <laughs> it's really a dangerous drug that way. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're not paying for the prime version of uh, YouTube that gets rid of the ads, you really ought to. I, personally, I found that YouTube is probably my favorite form of uh, entertainment now because you can get these little short hits of things. If I try to watch a movie on regular TV, like on cable, the time it takes me to search for a movie on my slow, slow interface on my TV and find a movie... And then I've got to wait for the opening credits. I'm sort of 15 minutes into a project that I only wanted to spend 10 minutes on. But if I go to YouTube, I can just click some interesting 10-minute video and I'm happy. What percent of your followers have had to refollow you at least once? I don't know percentage, but it's certainly thousands. Let's see that comment I missed. Uh, opinions are assigned. Do you believe that you also assign opinions to your viewers to a certain extent? Well, that's a good question. Somebody asked, do I think that I assign, that I personally have assigned opinions to my viewers? Um, yes, 
Yes, I would say so, based on feedback. So there are quite a few people who are write to me on a regular basis and say that the way they see the world is changed because of something I said. So I would say that the feedback is yes. Now, what I try to do is not assign opinions so much as assign technique. So what I'm trying to do is tell you the way to frame something, the way to think of it, the way to change the way you frame it, the way you compare it to the right things. So I'm trying to give you tools which would allow you to, you know, not have to have opinions assigned to you. But in the process of that, I'm sure I assign opinions whether I want to or not. All right. Um, yeah, there, there's people claiming, uh, somebody said in the comments, that uh, Trump is only hoaxing having coronavirus. Uh, I think you just have to look at the number of people involved to know that it's not a hoax. You know, nobody would plan a hoax that would end your political career and you would have this many witnesses. I mean, there are a lot of doctors and nurses and spouses of doctors and, you know, there's just way too many witnesses. So one thing I feel confident in saying, it's not a hoax. All right. Um, I'm seeing people uh, agree that I have changed their opinions. Somebody says, how's the little wife? <laughs> so uh, Christina is taking uh, aerobatic flying lessons. In fact, she might actually be in the air right now. So while I'm doing these periscopes and, and during the day, somewhere, you know, somewhere up in the air up there, not directly above the populated parts, uh, Christina is doing barrel rolls and, uh, you know, she's doing any number of hammerheads and things that I don't have words for. So she's, uh, she's doing very scary stuff. Imagine being, this is what she does every day. So every day she'll be in an airplane. She's, uh, very close to getting her, her pilot lesson, but she's pilot license, but she's taking lessons in, uh, aerobic flying, uh, aerobatic flying. And, um, Imagine doing this in an airplane, going straight up, stalling it, and letting the plane just free fall down to earth, and then try to recover it, because that's what you do. That's you know that's part of the fun, is try to recover the plane when it's free falling with the engine off. <laughs> she does that every day. It's crazy. All right, um, vice presidential debates. You know, I say this a lot about Mike Pence. Mike Pence has just got to be one of the most solid, uh, dependable vice presidents of all time. Now, I don't, I wouldn't choose him for president, but I love how complimentary he is to the president, and I love that he's so dependable. He just doesn't make mistakes, and if they do, they're they're trivial ones, right? So the fact that uh, Pence, who's just the most solid, solid politician, is going to go out there against uh, Kamala is pretty interesting. I have to admit, this will be the most interesting vice presidential debate. Um, so you've got a, a guy who doesn't make mistakes against somebody who needs to mix it up a little bit. I feel like Kamala Harris needs to do more than play for a draw. I think she needs to play for a win. And, you know, Pence can play for, play for a, a tie. 
Because if he gets a tie, he wins. Because Pence just needs to make it not about him, right? You know, he just wants don't don't vote based on me. Just yeah, I'll just play for a tie, not cause any trouble. Make sure the news is about the boss, and I think he'll pull that off. So if I had to guess, no matter who they say won the debate, as long as Pence is solid, and I, I'm sure he will be, as long as he's solid, he wins. That's all he has to do. Um, yeah, he doesn't have to win-win. He just has to not lose hard, and he's fine. Um, Kamala never fixed her laugh. Well, we'll see. She hasn't fixed her laugh in some videos that we've seen and some some interviews. But I would expect that in the context of a debate, she'll probably be a, a little more controlled on her uh, her mannerisms. So I would not expect to see the the weird cackle during the debate. Um, da, 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 da. Turn up his microphone. Yeah. And you also wonder if there'll be any in, uh, interrupting. <laughs> Do you think uh, Kamala will be interrupting Pence? Or that Pence will interrupt, interrupt uh, Kamala Harris? I would expect her to do a little more interrupting. Maybe. But maybe there won't be. You know, they, they, they might just both play it straight. All right. I've got nothing else for you, so I'm going to call the game now. So I will talk to you tomorrow. All right. Periscope is off. Um, I'm now with you uh, YouTubers alone. All those Periscopers are gone. So uh, do you have any other questions for me here on uh, YouTube? You like us better? Obviously. You're all my favorites. Uh, read the Super Chats. Well, I'm trying to read them all. Uh, I can't respond to them all, but I do try to read them all, and I pre and I appreciate them very much. All right, that's all for now. I will talk to you.